We're going to look at Psalm 122 this morning. Psalm 122, it's printed in the bulletin on the next page, and there are some Bibles available on the table in the back if you need one of those. Um, Psalm 122 starts out uh, with enthusiasm about the idea of coming to church, basically. Uh, Enthusiasm about the idea of corporate worship. You might remember from last week that we were in a section of the Psalms that was uh, used by God's people as they went up to Jerusalem, up to the temple in particular, to worship in God's presence at these three great annual feasts that they were called to participate in. Uh, Each year you come up three times, you come up to Jerusalem, and they would sing these Psalms along the way. And uh, there's, there's a sense of eagerness at that idea. A sense of eagerness at the idea of going up to Jerusalem, going up to the temple for worship, going to the place where God's people uh, dwell in God's presence. It's a prayer for those who love to be together with God and with his people. That's what it expresses. Maybe it can be hard for you to imagine being excited about that idea, excited about the idea of going to church. Uh, at the dinner table the other day, one of our kids asked, why do we go to church? It's a great question. Don't ever discourage your kids from asking questions like that. Um, have that conversation. Have it, have it with delight. Why do we go to church? Well, what do you think, kids? And we just spend a little time at the dinner table brainstorming, uh, coming up with reasons why we go to church. And there are a lot of good reasons to be here. There's a lot of good reasons. Uh, good reasons even to be excited about coming to church. So let's talk about some of that. And let's pray that God would grant us some of his own interest in these things. That's what we're going to do when we uh, look at Psalm 122 this morning. So let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we pray that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to read your word and hear it and consider it together in ways that truly shape this congregation and shape our lives according to your will and in the image of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. A song of ascent of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed, For Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is a prayer song about sheer togetherness. Togetherness in the Lord's presence. The thought of that togetherness is is what thrills the one who prays this psalm. It's a beautiful joy that the psalmist has, the one who sings this this prayer song. When he says in verse 1, I was glad. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Maybe you've suspected that you're supposed to have some some kind of interest in going to church like that. 
some kind of enthusiasm like that. Maybe you've suspected that you're supposed to actually enjoy coming to church, but secretly have had difficulty with it, and probably mainly because of other people who are there. You might not be so excited to come to church when there's disagreement or when there's discord over certain expressions of our spirituality, the way that we do things, what other people are saying or what they're doing, things that you have a hard time with. Sometimes we're irritated by one another for a lot of reasons, a lot of different reasons. And we can imagine just more pleasant places to be. Sometimes we have deep conflict with each other about things that are very important to us, and it's really hard to want to be around each other. Sometimes that's true. Maybe it seems easier to just give in, if you're anything like me, to the the conflict avoidance impulse or instinct, uh, which really is an other person avoidance impulse or instinct. And you just stay at home. Just find some other place to be. Maybe even some other church. This psalm is a prayer expressing the yearning to come to church. Really, ultimately, that's what it is. Uh, it's, it's a prayer expressing the joy that's found in the anticipation of that togetherness in the Lord's presence. And I wish I felt that yearning. I wish I felt that, that joy about every single Sunday. Do you know who really does feel that way? Who really does feel the way that this, this verse says? Who, who's yearning? Whose joy is this psalm really expressing? Who's really singing this song? I mean, it's right there in the title. This is a psalm of David. It's a psalm of David. And that means it's a psalm sung um, not just by God's people or individuals in the church. It's a song sung by the king of God's people. And you know who I'm talking about. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who sings, I was glad. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I mean, you might personally have big problems dragging yourself to church, dragging yourself here. You might have big problems with someone else that's here in this room. You might even have big personal problems with God. Big relational problems with God. But God in the flesh, the King Himself, is delighted at the prospect of togetherness with you. The Son of God before the Incarnation, the Eternal Son of God, before the Incarnation, He heard the Father's eternal plan. He was moved by the Holy Spirit. And He rejoiced at the thought of entering our world to be with us, to lead us into true worship and reconciliation in God's presence. All of this, all this excitement, all this rejoicing at the thought of coming together with us in God's presence, even though the very thing that defines us as sinners is that we've rejected that fellowship, we want to get away from that fellowship, get away from one another, ultimately get away from God, we've rejected togetherness with God. Nevertheless, God took on our flesh, He took on our own created nature so that He could make the pilgrimage to the house of the Lord with us as one of us, as our King. And He did it because He wanted to. 
did it because he wanted to, not because he was compelled to, but he wanted to with every fiber of his being. And he was glad when finally he heard his father say, now it's time. And our king was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. Throughout his life, Jesus delighted to be in his father's house. He'd often linger in the temple. Throughout his life, he surrounded himself with the people of God, all different kinds of people. He came for the togetherness, not because he was like in some desperate need of it, but because he loves it and he delights in it and he wants to, to change us from our anti-togetherness. He wants to change us to share in, in the togetherness in the presence of the Lord and in the delight in that. And when he faced utter isolation, when he faced betrayal and abandonment, when he faced persecution, when he faced being ripped apart from the fellowship of God, when he faced the real horror of the cross, he endured it, as the scriptures say, for the joy that was set before him. Because there was something out there that he wanted. Something he was yearning for, something he was anticipating, and he was glad about. A joy. Because the horror of the cross that he endured, that was the way to enter the house of the Lord with God's people. That was the way to bring us all together. To lead us into true and everlasting togetherness in the presence of God. And that was his great yearning, and that was his great joy. And gladness, God in the flesh, Jesus, is so excited to be with us, together with us in peace, that he went to the cross so that that could happen. And that's been his prayer throughout his his life. That's been his work for our good. So the king talks about, in uh, in verse 3, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. So Jesus talks about his church uh, in, in language, like city language, right? He says, we're a city set on a hill. That's, you'd be thinking in your mind, oh, Jerusalem is a city set on a hill. Um, the apostles made it more specific when they called the church the new Jerusalem. That's the way the scriptures talk about it. That's the way Jesus talks about his church. And the most important feature of a city which is what the church is likened to. The most important feature of a city isn't, isn't the geography, the beautiful geography of it, or the, the layout of its streets, how they can be really efficient, or the architecture of its buildings, really beautiful and majestic. It's not, it's not the beauty of its parks. The most important feature of a city isn't even the strength of its defenses or its economy. The, the most important feature of a city is that it's a place for people to dwell together in unity and peace. And the psalm says that this community of people, this city, this church, this congregation, we are bound firmly together, which is uh, the same Hebrew word that's found in Exodus 26 when it's describing the tent, the tabernacle, the place where God's presence dwells among his people, a place for worship being coupled together that it may be a single whole. 
And Paul uses similar language to describe the church in Colossians 2 when he says that we are knit together, knit together in love. We become a single whole. It's a place for wholeness and unity and peace that God has knit together, even though it's a place of diversity. It's not just for a single tribe. It's for the tribes of the Lord. It's a place of wholeness and unity. So Revelation 5 says that by his blood, Jesus ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation, to bring us together into this this one place that's bound firmly together as a city, a place for people to dwell in peace and unity. We, with all of our differences, all of our differences that would normally be sufficient reasons to keep us apart, keep us not coming together, we all respond to Jesus' call to worship and we come together in unity and wholeness and peace here in the church. He's decreed where this place will be, this place of people dwelling together in peace and unity and wholeness. It's the church. That's what Jesus has decreed. And he's made all the preparations so that when we arrive in his church, it's just as a response to him. It's a response to who he is. It's a response to what he's done. We find ourselves, as it says, giving thanks to Jesus, giving thanks to the name of the Lord. Jesus calls us into the house of the Lord, this group of people who have all these differences, who have all these conflicts, conflicts that are always threatening to separate us and divide us. Jesus calls us here, and we simply respond, and we give thanks to to him for the peace that he has given us. He's given it to us. This peace with God and this peace with one another. Uh, At Presbytery uh, this week, Joe and I were at dinner with Garrett Dawson, who is uh, one of my favorite authors. He's a pastor of uh, First Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge. And he came to our Presbytery meetings to encourage us with the gospel. And uh, we were sitting there at dinner, and he told a story of how someone in his church had been engaging in debate with an atheist about Christianity. And this debate had gone on and on, and he kept asking for advice. This congregant asked his pastor for advice, how do you engage with this atheist? And Garrett uh, told this congregant to issue this challenge to the atheist. You go gather 700 atheists. You bring them together in the same room. You get them to keep coming together in the same room, in peace, for years. You get them to work together in compassionate service for each other and for others. You go try and do all that with your atheist message. It's a ridiculous thing to say. It's never going to happen. Only the crucified King Jesus can bring diverse peoples together in lasting unity, in true wholeness, in peace in his church. Tim Keller says, uh, says it well, people who would never get along outside the church love each other inside it. People who would never get along outside the church love each other inside of it. That's the reconciling power of the blood of King Jesus at work only in his church. It says in verse 5, there, were, there thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Only the resurrected and ascended Davidic king, Jesus, 
seated on his throne in God's presence in the midst of his people. Only he can judge justly. Only he can make things right between us. That's the way you see judgment played out. When the king sits in judgment in the scriptures, his people come to him to settle disputes for them, to make things right, and to restore relationships and bring justice. And only the resurrected and ascended King Jesus can do that. And only this King Jesus, who wields the power of the Holy Spirit, can cause us to share in his own enthusiasm about the peace of the church. Only King Jesus can lead us to pray for that peace, the peace of the church, the true peace that's found only within the church. And only King Jesus can, can lead us to pursue it, pursue that peace as he himself has pursued that peace. He says in the, the last part of the psalm, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure or may they rest tranquil who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So when Jesus was in the upper room with his people, before going out to face his betrayal in the night, before going out to face his cross, he promised that after his death and after his resurrection, he would send the Holy Spirit. He's talking about that quite a bit in the upper room. And he said this, he said in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. And then after he took up his life again on the day of his resurrection, as Jerry read in our gospel reading, he came and he stood among his frightened disciples and he blessed them. He said three times, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The only way the world knows how to achieve peace, some semblance of peace, is by threat. It's by force. I mean, isn't that how the nations maintain the appearance of peace between themselves? Isn't that how local governments keep the peace on the streets? Isn't that how we try to achieve peace and quiet in our homes? Threat and force. If someone disturbs the peace, it's usually not me, it's usually somebody else. If someone disturbs the peace, it's going to be trouble for them. But when our Lord sought to establish peace in His church, uh, because it was undeniably true that all of us had been disruptors of the peace that should exist between us and God, even though it wasn't his fault, he took all the trouble on himself. He didn't say, it's going to be trouble for you. He took all the trouble on himself. He laid down his life to seek your good, to give you peace as a gift, to give it to you. Not to make you earn it, to give it to you. It is because we live under the perpetual blessing of the Lord Jesus, peace be with you, my peace I give to you. <clears throat> that we can share a peace with God and with each other that the world cannot attain, the world cannot give, the world 
cannot even understand this kind of peace that comes from the Lord Jesus. It is because we have the Spirit of the Lord Himself in us and among us, at work among us, that we can bear the fruit of Jesus' own life. One of those fruit being peace. Because we have the Spirit of the Lord Himself in us, we can bear the fruit of His life at work in us. It's because of that we can yearn for the peace of our togetherness. Because we have Jesus' own Spirit, we can yearn for the peace of the church. And we can extend the peace of Christ to one another in communion, which we do as we pass the peace of Christ as we come to communion. We can lay down our rights. We can lay down our preferences. We can lay aside our pet peeves, those things that are really a burr under my saddle, really, really irritating to me. We can lay those things down in order to pursue the peace of the church, to give it to others, even when it costs us something, even when it costs us a lot. It's one of our vows for membership in the church that looking to Jesus with faith, relying on the help of His Holy Spirit, we devote ourselves to the peace of the church. We devote ourselves to the peace of the church. And when you experience conflict in the church, you might be tempted to think that the best way to preserve the peace of the church is to leave it. That's not peace. That's division. You should see that. That's letting our differences and our conflict effectively end our relationships. Leaving one another is giving up on peace. It's saying, we don't believe the blood of Jesus has enough power to restore and reconcile us to one another in God's presence. It's saying, we don't believe the way of Jesus is the best way to true peace. Praying for peace, as the Lord Jesus tells us to pray, and pursuing peace like Jesus has pursued peace, it isn't as easy as leaving. You don't see that in Jesus' life. Sometimes it's the hardest thing in the world. Like when Jesus took responsibility for the sin of other people. The sinless one who never committed any transgression at all took the responsibility of the sin of everybody. And he associated himself deliberately with the faithless and with the criminals. And he suffered complete humiliation without defending himself. Without self-justification. And he swallowed all the shame, and he swallowed all the pain, and he swallowed all the consequences of our evil without complaining, just as if he had deserved it. Everything he did was for the sake of his brothers and his companions to freely give us the great gift of peace. And he, the king, invites you to pray for the peace of his church, just as he has prayed. God himself is deeply interested in the peace of his church, and he has invested himself in it completely and utterly. By his spirit, he grants you his own interest, his own deep yearning, his own gladness and delight at the thought of our togetherness in his presence. In Jesus, 
He has led the way to the house of the Lord. He's showed the way for you to follow. He's showed what it looks like to seek to extend peace to one another, just as he has done, even if it hurts, for the joy that is set before you. Blessed, he said, happy, glad are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it's much easier for us to brainstorm all the reasons why we don't want to come to church, why we don't want to be in your presence together with your people, why we don't like this particular person or that, and why we'd rather be somewhere else. We pray that you'd forgive us those sins. We pray that you would um, overturn our hearts by the power of your Spirit, that you would change us into the likeness of Jesus, who not only prayed for the real peace and unity and wholeness of the church, but he gave his life even to the last drop of blood on the cross to establish peace and to give it to people who didn't deserve it. We pray that you would show us what it looks like to bear the fruit of his life in us. We pray that you would bless us with the opportunity to participate in your passing of the peace, that in the name of Jesus Christ, we too could lay down our lives and our preferences and our rights and our comforts when we encounter conflict inside the church for the sake of the peace of the church, to give our lives for the reconciliation and forgiveness that is impossible to find in the world. It is only made possible because of who you are and what you've done for us in the gospel. We pray that these things would really characterize our congregation, that they would characterize uh, the, the thoughts and hearts of everyone here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.